0: Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 546.
1: Why not buy the car you can afford? This is Cars Yeah,
0: where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring
1: automotive enthusiasts.
0: Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Rob Siegel. Rob, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am strapped in and ready to rock and roll. All right, great. Nice to have you here. Rob Siegel, a.k.a. The Hack Mechanic, has been writing his monthly column for the BMW Car Club of America's Roundell magazine for 30 years. His book, Memoirs of a Hack Mechanic, was published by Bentley Publishers in 2013 and he received rave reviews by the New York Times and Publishers Weekly. His newest book, The Hack Mechanic's Guide to European Automotive Electrical Systems, was published this month, June of 2016. A car guy, since he could walk, Rob has 13 cars, including BMWs, and I like this one, a dead Lotus Europa Twin Cam Special,
1: <laughs> which
0: <laughs> which will be the car that sends him over the edge. I can understand that, absolutely. They are a challenge. So Rob, <laughs> I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a really brief moment to share a little bit more about your career and your passion for automobiles, and then we'll get into some of the questions I have for you today.
1: Sure. I like to describe myself as an out-of-control hobbyist. (laughs) I'm not a professional mechanic. I never have worked as a professional mechanic. I never really have repaired other people's cars for money. In fact, there are five chapters in my first book entitled Why I Don't Fix." Other people's cars for money. (laughs) But I'm just someone who happens to go through a lot of cars, mostly vintage BMWs, mostly 1970s era, and I write about it. So I've written about it for Roundell Magazine for, as you'd said, 30 years now. Yeah. Hard to believe. And in the books, as well. And through that I've found that I'm no different from every other car guy. That we <laughs> that we all tend to bleed the same color of antifreeze. Right. But you know, and you know, if I meet a Chevy guy, initially, you know, there's that whole, uh, you know, you're a German car guy, ah, uh, you're a Chevy car guy. And that lasts about thirty seconds. And then you sure. find out that like in fact you're exactly the same. Of
0: course. Yeah. That's a great thing about this car hobby is No matter what kind of mark you like, we're all brothers, sisters, we're all friends. And once you have two car guys at a party, they go off in the corner, or better yet, into the garage and abandon the party, and they just talk cars all night. Just ask my wife. That's exactly what happens with me. Well, as we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote. This is some kind of saying that's been instrumental in forming your life, and it's a really nice way to get those inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Rob? Take the wheel.
1: Okay, well, I'm actually going to quote myself. Awesome. This this is a quote from my first book, Memoirs of a Hack Mechanic. I'm an implementation guy. I'm a guy who gets things done. I'm a guy who's gotten very good at seeing a path to the possible. When I die, just chisel on my tombstone. He was a very practical guy with a really good track record of achieving short-term goals. He thought he could build a rocket ship and go to Mars in bite-sized chunks. But sadly, he lacked the garage space.
0: <laughs> now, that's a long quote, but I <laughs> like it. And I, I expected something like that from you, having read your articles for so many years, being a BMW Car Club member as I am. That's awesome. Well, tell me a little bit about how you have incorporated that into your life and what you do.
1: Sure. Well, it I started like anyone else who's a car guy, which is was basically that I noticed cars from a very young age. I remember vividly growing up on Long Island, and there was a guy around the corner who had a 63 split-windowed Corvette. I was five years old, and as a five years old, I remember seeing this and thinking it was the most beautiful thing that I had ever seen. Eventually, my family moved up to Amherst, Massachusetts, and there were a whole succession of Hampshire College students who were living with us on and off, and one of them had a 71 BMW 2002. It was the car that imprinted on me, and a lot of us have this experience that a car imprints on us, and it seems like we are doomed to follow that car around for the rest of our life. (laughs) Then when I was a senior in high school, I bought not a BMW 2002, but a Triumph GT6 Plus, which was the car that proved that everything bad I'd ever heard about British cars is is true, all of it. (laughs)
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) But it was also the car that was the entree for me into fixing cars because it broke and I was poor. So I had to fix it. So without that car, I would be quite a different person than I am today. I imagine my fingernails would be a lot cleaner, but, uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> but I wouldn't have had as much fun. I then moved down to Austin, Texas in the early 1980s. I bought my first BMW 2002 and then my second and my third and my fourth. I started writing for Roundel. I sent in unsolicited articles. They ran them. At some point, I became a staff writer for Roundel. And how it enhances my life is the whole thing about working on cars, about being able to lay your hands on machinery For for almost 30 years, my day job was that I was a software engineer, and that's like the consummate left-brained activity. And working on cars is a very right-brained activity, Mm -hmm. right? The laying on of hands, the holding of tools, the visualization of machinery, and over and above that, the being able to... Solve a problem yourself in a world that's just so immeasurably complex where I'm not able to fix health care. I'm not able to reconcile the Israelis and the Palestinians. I'm able to diagnose a bad windshield washer pump and replace it in one evening completely (laughs) from start to finish. (laughs) Obviously, that's a very trivial thing, but a lot of us find that it's this enormously satisfying thing.
0: Oh, you know, absolutely. When when you can go out there and fix something on your car and stand back and go, it works. That's right. You just feel so good about it when i can fix things and they actually work i'm so excited and uh run in tell my wife she rolls her eyes that's nice dear and uh, (laughs) i run back out to the garage so i love that i can tell you kind of answered that next question is about how you became or that pivotal moment in your life when you became a car guy because that corvette and then the 2002 and the british cars uh all were moments in your life i take it that uh kept pushing you in that direction, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Rob, what I'd love to do now is take a look at the roads you've driven down and crawl into the hood and ask you to share a huge challenge or even better, a big failure that you faced along the way in your career. And the reason I always like to ask this is not so much about the specific incident, but how did you overcome it? What did it teach you? How could you move forward? So take us to that painful moment in time. Share with us what happened and tell us how you moved out of that.
1: Well, the biggest challenge for most of us who are into cars, is just trying to maintain the balance. It's so easy to go over the edge in terms of time, in terms of numbers of cars, especially in terms of money. You know, there's that meme that I think we've all seen on Facebook about, when I die, I hope that my wife never finds out how much I actually spent on these cars, right? (laughs) Yeah. So I tend to think of it like that. It's not it's not really any one event. It's a continuous challenge of how to indulge the passion in a way that neither jeopardizes the family finances nor the family relationships. And you know, you read so much about people who have unhealthy relationships especially with their spouses, because of the tension of the amount of time that they spend with their cars or on road trips or what have you, and the money. You know, the way that I manage this is that even though I have this somewhat wacko online persona of the hack mechanic where I sound like I'm this unhinged whack job, (laughs) I'm actually relentlessly logical and analytical in terms of cost containment of my projects, oh. it is in fact a substantial ongoing effort. You would mention the dead lotus because I had mentioned the dead lotus yes <laughs> there 's nothing like having a dead lotus in the garage to create this huge sucking sound of all of your income being sucked into the corner of the of the garage where the lotus is and trying to have a cost containment strategy around that. As opposed to just ripping the thing completely apart and starting to restore it from the bottom to the top mm-hmm. is challenging, but it, but it is in fact what I do because if I was not able to do that, I wouldn't be able to do this whole thing.
0: Ah, so you found that balance in life of, um, Learning how to do things yourself so that you're not spending a lot of money with other people. Instead, you're enjoying the process, but you're also saving some capital, hard-earned capital, so that uh, that sucking sound is not too loud coming from the garage.
1: Well, I try to mitigate it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think
0: there's a lot of uh, of uh uh spousal unit ears perking up right now, as you <laughs> mentioned, because you went into a place that nobody's ever gone before. You're on Cars, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... I appreciate there's a lot of guys nodding their heads right now. Yeah, I used to race vintage cars and my wife can attest to the the cost of racing vintage cars. It's like having a horse, you know. (laughs) They never stop eating, that's for sure. Well, let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I call a career aha moment. I like to say it's when those headlights come on and kind of illuminate your way for this new direction you have. And tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment into a success.
1: Well... I guess I have two answers to that. I was, as i said uh in fact a software engineer for thirty years, and I left that to become a full time automotive writer so for the past year and a half, in fact, I have been working for the folks at Bentley Publishers who were the publishers of both of my books ah okay and as As someone who, you know, who's trained as an engineer and tends to be kind of relentlessly linear and relentlessly logical, it was hard to make the leap of faith to let go, you know, of that island of safety. Oh, yeah. That source of income that I'd had for 30 years. Ultimately, what it took was the folks at Bentley offering me a job and me finally whacking myself on the side of the head and saying, idiot, why aren't you doing this? Right. There's, (laughs) you know, there's no reason to not say yes, except that you're afraid of doing something new. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, you've touched on a really important point here specifically for cars. Yeah. Because what this podcast is about is people who've decided to wrap their passion for cars into their vocation. So you did exactly that. (laughs) That's awesome.
1: Yeah. And it's something I still occasionally need to pinch myself over that. I mean, at, at age, I guess I was 57 when it happened. I actually not only successfully changed careers, but successfully changed careers to being a full time car guy. I mean, how cool is that?
0: Well, congratulations. Thank <laughs> that's, you. That's really, really cool. I'm hoping there's a lot of listeners out there right now going, man, if he figured it out, I can figure it out, right? There's got to be a way to do this.
1: Well, you know, like any of these things, I like to joke that, you know, I was an overnight success 30 years in the making, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I had been writing the column for 30 years continuously. Yeah. And so the fact that it got spun into a book and then that got spun into another book, it's not like – this happened out of nowhere and out uh, of nothing. Right. You know, there was, in fact, a very long track record associated with my writing. A lot of practice, a lot of
0: seat time. So very nice. Well, let's talk a little bit about a proud career
1: moment. Is there one in particular that you could share with us? Well, I'll actually answer this one not so much as a career moment, but as a mechanic. Even though I don't fix cars for money, I do favors for people. And so one of the events in the vintage BMW world is called The Vintage, which is a vintage BMW event. It was in Winston-Salem for many years. It just moved down to Asheville, North Carolina. And I was preparing to leave for The Vintage a year ago, Memorial Day, and I was planning on meeting up with a guy um, named Brian, who lives in New Jersey. He left a day earlier than I did. And I start to see these posts on Facebook that he and his wife are stranded in Winchester, Virginia. Uh, he's driving a TII, a 1973-2002 TII, which is a car that I own three of. <laughs> uh, so it's a car that I know very well. I know the fuel injection on these cars very well and so he's describing the car having this rough running problem and uh i said well i will be passing right by you tomorrow if you're still there i'll be happy to stop and help you out and he said well lord (laughs) (laughs) Lord, I hope we're not still here tomorrow. But they were. They were sort of camped out in the parking lot of the Comfort Inn in Winchester, Virginia. So I stopped and I spent four hours in the hot sun trying to figure out what the problem was. It seemed some like it was some sort of a fuel delivery problem, but I couldn't figure out. So with like seven hours of road time still ahead of me, I eventually had to leave They were not stranded. The car still actually ran. They were in the parking lot of a hotel, Uh but I had to leave, and it broke my heart, and it broke their heart, and they were not able to make it down there. So I couldn't let go of this idea that, as a writer, this was a story, and it was the wrong ending to the story. Mm. And what's more, as a mechanic, I had the power to fix the car, so... As a writer, I had the power to rewrite the ending of the story. So I made Brian the absolutely insane offer that if he hauled the car to me up in suburban Boston, I would fix it for free, well, for parts. (laughs) And so he did. And I worked on it nights and weekends for about a month. It had systemic fuel contamination issues. Uh, the fuel system was contaminated with rust, but that turned out, in fact, not to be the problem. The problem was that it actually had a broken fuel injector, which oh, yes. I've owned seven of these cars. I know any number of other people who have owned any number of these cars. No one had ever seen a broken fuel injector. Wow. So I was able to figure it out. I was able to fix his car. And then a year later, so this past Memorial Day, I was able to drive with Brian and his wife and this car down to the vintage at Asheville and to complete the circle so to speak, to make <laughs> sure nice. that, they, that they completed the trip that last year they were unable to complete. Yeah. And so because I had written about this, any number of people welcomed them. Oh, you're the guy. Oh, and this is that car. <laughs> and that was a wonderful thing to, to be
0: a part of. Very nice story. I like it. <laughs> That's really great. Well, let's have a little bit of fun here. I'd love to go back in time and have you share with us your first really special car and maybe a memory you have of that vehicle.
1: Sure. So, as I'd said, for you know, a long time, I was into 2002s. I'm still heavily into 2002s. But when I was living in Austin in the early 80s, so well before the dawn of the Internet and all that, well before Craigslist, <laughs> I used to just drive around neighborhoods and look down people's driveways for dead BMWs. And I was very familiar, you know, with the profile of uh, the front and the rear of a 2002. Yeah. So I passed one driveway, and all of a sudden I saw the rear profile of a BMW that I was wholly unfamiliar with. And it turned out to be a BMW 3.0 CS. And I instantly fell in love with those lean and live lines of the car. So for those who don't know, if the BMW 2002 is the boxy little early 70s two-door sedan, the BMW 3.0 CS is a larger two-door coupe that was the predecessor of the 635 CSI. So immediately upon seeing one of these, I thought, well, screw 2002s. I want me one of these. (laughs) So then I learned about them, and I found out that if back in the day... You know, if a 2002 was like a $2,000 car, you know, all factors being equal, a 3.0 CS was like a $10,000 car. And yes. I was a kid. I didn't have 10 grand. So it took me a couple of years to find one that I could afford. I bought a 73 3.0 CSI, which is the fuel-injected model in 86. I still own it. It was the car that I could afford. Uh It had been hit in the nose. It needed a nose, a hood, and fenders. But it was, in fact, virtually rust-free. So I bought it then I saved my money, then I bought a hood, nose and fenders, then I saved my money, then I paid someone to install the hood, nose and fenders, then I saved my money, then I paid someone to strip the car and repaint it. And that was 1988. The car is by no means a hanger queen. I use it. I like to drive it to shows like the vintage, but I've been careful with it. And even though it now was painted 28 years ago, it's still looks like a newly painted car. It turns heads everywhere I drive it, and it is the car that I will never sell.
0: Very nice. Well, there's a listener out there named Bill, a good friend of mine who's smiling right now. And in our pre-show chat, I mentioned to you, Rob, that he bought a 3.0 out of of Germany. That's just a beautiful, beautiful car. So I'm very familiar with those cars. Got to photograph his car for him. And uh, yeah, really, really nice story. I like those. They're beautiful. Yes, they are. How about sellers or Morris? I know you have a lot of cars. I would assume you sold something. So is there one car that you've let go that you really wish you had back in your garage?
1: Yeah. Well, everyone likes to do the woulda, shoulda, coulda thing. You know, now that E28 M5s, E30 M3s are now $50,000 cars, everyone likes to do woulda, shoulda, coulda. You know, I remember the day when you could buy those all day long for 8,500. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, you know, there's a difference between woulda, shoulda, coulda and the one that got away, right? The one that you actually had and sold. So in my case, I had an 82 911 SC Porsche that I owned for about 10 years. I paid 10 grand for it when I bought it. I sold it about five years ago, also for about ten grand, mm. and that wasn't a distressed sale. That's what it was worth.
0: Yeah, yeah. I
1: had it on Craigslist. I had it on eBay. A bunch of local folks came over and looked at it. It had 145,000 miles, and paint was old. That's what it was worth. At the time, I thought I was about to get laid off, and I did lose a bunch of storage space, and I needed to sell like three cars. So yeah. I sold one of my 2002s. I had an 85 635 CS guy that I sold and I sold the 911. When I sold it, I was very rational about it. I thought, you know, it's starting to leak oil out the oil return tubes. If I am going to replace them, I'll need to yank off the heater boxes. When I try to do that, I'm sure the studs will snap off the heads, and I will wish I never had started this repair. If I'm going to sell it, I should sell it now. And besides, I thought, Long Hood 911s are worth crazy money, but a 911 SC is a commodity, right? They sold a bunch of them. It'll never be worth crazy money. And I thought... When my job stabilizes again, I can buy a later 911. I can buy like an 88 Carrera with the G50 transmission and the hydraulic clutch, right? This is what everyone writes about. You know, I thought, so instead of 10, you know, maybe I'll have to spend 15 or 16 or 17, you know, to buy like a later car. And it, it was maybe six months later. Maybe four that nine eleven SCs <laughs> started their upward climb. Uh, yeah, and now yeah. I couldn't buy that, that same car back for twenty five. Uh, but you know, it's less a question of the money, right? You know, I could sell other cars and, and buy another nine eleven if I wanted to. It's more I really loved the car. It was a targa with a whale tail, which I know some folks think are really ostentatious, but I thought it was really cool. I really missed the car. And what are you going to do? All that you can do is make decisions on the basis of the facts that you have at hand at that moment. None of us have a crystal ball.
0: Absolutely. And that same friend of mine, Bill, is smiling right now because he bought an SC about six or seven years ago when they were affordable. And of course now. Uh, the porsche story has been told yeah it's absolutely crazy well that's the way the cookie crumbles as they say so no worries uh we all have those stories i've got some of my own well i would love for you to share a little bit with our listeners about this new book i'd love to promote the book a bit so that people know uh that it exists the hack mechanic guide to european automotive electrical systems what prompted you to
1: write about this Well, the folks at Bentley Publishers hired me to write about it, uh, to be perfectly candid. After the first book was published, they came to me and said, we would like you to write another book. And I said, I would love to write another book for you lovely folks. And they said, we would like it to be a repair manual about electrical systems. And I said, (laughs) oh, I don't see how I'll be able to do that on Nights and weekends. And a couple of months later, they offered me a job writing for them full time. So that was how it happened. It was actually their idea, not mine. So, nice. so they deserve actually all of the credit for, for the concept of the book. Nice. So it is a soup to nuts walk through automotive electrical systems. It starts, the first word in the book is literally click the sound that we all dread when we turn the key and the battery's dead, click.
0: Yep, yep.
1: Right, so it walks you through click, right, what that means, right? It's actually the sound of the solenoid attached to the starter motor closing. So when you hear click, it means that the battery has a sufficient amount of voltage – in order to close the solenoid, but not a sufficient amount in order for the starter to spin the engine. So I actually explain that. I think in the third paragraph of the book, I say, if you don't have a multimeter, a voltmeter, a digital volt-ohm meter, run down to Harbor Freight, spend $5.99 and buy one, and hook it up to your battery. And without your engine running, it should read 12.6 volts. And with your engine running, it should read about a little over 14 volts. And that's the very basics, Mm -hmm. right? That's sort of the hump that you need to get over. The book then walks through in a lot of detail how electricity works in a car, how to use a multimeter to measure voltage and resistance and current, how to use a multimeter to perform general troubleshooting in a car, as well as some of the more nuts and bolts things like how to splice wire how to solder wire, how the fuse box actually works in a car, why there is a hot side of the fuse and a not hot side of the fuse. Then as you head into the book more and more, it starts to engage a variety of topics that are more germane to modern cars. There are a lot of topics that are relevant to every single car, regardless of how old it is. In the majority of troubleshooting, you're just verifying that there's a voltage present or there's not. You're just verifying that a wire has continuity or that it doesn't. But as you start to get into modern cars with sensors like oxygen sensors and crankshaft positioning sensors, those sensors output what's called a dynamic analog signal. So this is a signal that varies with time. It might be a sine wave, it might be a square wave, but it's not just one constant reading. So I explain... I walk the reader through what that means and how you would use a multimeter to detect that sort of a signal. And if your multimeter isn't capable of that, what sort of a multimeter or other tool you would need for that. I then continue into the modern age and I talk about control modules and cars and messages and OBD2 and what the difference is between a code reader and a scan tool. And the last 11 chapters of the book are a series of highly detailed chapters specific to these sort of sensors on modern cars and how to troubleshoot them with a multimeter. So it's really something for everyone. If you own a vintage car, you'll learn a lot about the basics of troubleshooting. And if you own a modern car, you'll learn very specifically how to use a multimeter to troubleshoot the sensors on on a modern car.
0: Very cool. Well, it sounds like a great book for any weekend warrior mechanic to have on a shelf. And I think I know what to get my buddy Bill now for Christmas. (laughs) So uh, I'll have to have you sign it for him. But uh, very cool. Very cool. Very useful book. Now, here's a very introspective question for you, Rob. If you were a car, what kind of car would Rob be and why?
1: Oh, well, that's easy. I am a BMW 2002 TII. (laughs) It is a mechanically fuel-injected car. It is relentlessly logical and deterministic like me, right? <laughs> it's functional. It's practical. It's able to be driven hard all day long, and you can have a lot of fun with it. I don't I don't know anything else I would rather be.
0: Nicely put. <laughs> I like it. Great answer. I can see that. So Rob, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimball.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. Do you love vintage cars? Then go to carsyeah.com and get a free copy of the fantastic Filler Up book. It's a full-color ebook filled with fuel filler fun with over 60 color photographs of vintage cars, plus inspirational quotes from some of the most famous automotive enthusiasts of all time. Simply go to CarsYeah.com and click on the free book button on the homepage. Download your free filler-up book today at Cars Yeah. Okay, Rob, we're back and we're entering the last lap, and I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best
1: automotive advice you've ever received? Oh, that one's easy. The idea that there is no quote-unquote known good. (laughs) All that there are are symptoms and diagnosis. Uh. You don't know if anything is good. It doesn't matter if the part is new. All that you can do is to diagnose the
0: problem. There you go. Very straightforward approach. Would you share one of your personal habits
1: that you believe has helped contribute to your success? Oh, sure. On a large project, try to do one thing every night. It can be small, it can be installing three bolts, but the larger the project is, the bigger the cumulative effect is of trying to do one thing every night. You know, that's such
0: a great attribute and a great uh, hint for folks that are restoring cars or anything for that matter. If you're feeling overwhelmed, just do one thing, one thing every day. It'll make you feel like you've gotten a little bit further. I like that. Absolutely. Do you have a resource that you think our listeners would really enjoy? You mean aside from my own books? (laughs) Well, of course your own books. And, And I'll let our listeners know that those will be linked onto your show notes page at Cars Yeah. But yeah, is there a blog you get or a website you go to a lot or something that you think would make a great resource?
1: Well, in the 2002 world, the 2002 website is bmw2002faq.com. Mm. It really is the brain trust, the repository. There you go.
0: Now, how about a book? Now, I know about your books. I've mentioned your books. So those will be listed. But is there another book that you think our listeners would really enjoy reading?
1: Sure. Well, th- so there's a guy named Matt Crawford who has a book called Shop Class as Craft Oh, yeah that is pretty well known at this point, and it really has one absolutely amazing chapter, which is called To Be Master of One's Own Stuff. Mm. So anyone who repairs their own... Not only cars, but anything around the house will find a lot of resonance, particularly in that chapter. Yeah,
0: it's a great book. I'm glad you recommended that book. It's fantastic. I loved it when it came out. Well, listeners, I'll remind you you can find links to all these great resources Rob has shared on his very own show notes page at carsyad.com. Just type Rob Siegel. S-I-E-G-E-L into the search bar, and that page will pop up with quick, easy links. And there's another great place on the Karja yeah website called Guest Recommended Books, where that book and Rob's books and all the other past 500 and, gosh, 45 guests now that have been on Karja yeah are listed for quick, easy clicks to buy. All right, we're up to the checkered flag, Rob, and this last question can be a real doozy to mention another famous mark. If you could have only one collector car in your garage, I know for a guy that has 13 plus cars, this is a tough one, but you can only have one, but money's no object. I'll buy you whatever car you'd like. What would that vehicle be? And more importantly,
1: why? Yeah, I, you know, I've my 30 years of engineering has taught me that there is no free lunch. You know, (laughs) I could say I want the McLaren, right? But then I have to maintain the McLaren. A part of the whole thing with achieving balance is that I've managed to get very good at not lusting after things that I can't have. So in fact, (laughs) I don't really even pay attention to high dollar exotics. Mm -hmm. I literally do not even know what the model numbers are. And the maintenance of exotics can be stratospheric. I do like cars that are what I consider a, a pure shape. Cars like a vintage Porsche 911, a Series 1 or a Series 1.5 E-type Jaguar. Mm. But I think the answer to the question is in fact the car that I am keeping for the rest of my life. The BMW 3.0 CSI is just so bloody gorgeous.
0: There you go. Well, I always love it when my guests list a car they already have because that means I don't have to buy it for them. (laughs) (laughs) But it's pretty nice that you have your dream car. That is even more special because so many people, like you said, lust after things that they can't have. So maybe your next book has to be titled... How to learn not to lust after things you can't have. How about that? There's <laughs> so a lot of us would like to learn that trait that you share within yourself. Uh, I think that we could learn something from you here. Very, very beautiful car. Absolutely. Rob, you have taken me on an awesome ride today, and I've really enjoyed talking with you, and I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars yeah, listeners. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that perfectly operating BMW
1: 3.0 CSI? I will give you two short ones. Awesome. The first one is a purely practical matter. Separate your daily drivers from your enthusiast cars. Mm. It's not that you can't work on a daily driver. It's that it's just so much more relaxing to be able to close the garage door on a repair and not have Monday morning come up like thunder and not have anything to drive to work. The slightly more philosophical piece of advice – Is this thing about lusting after, about not lusting after what you can't have. So many people fall into this whole trap of. Well, if I paid X for this car and if I needed to put Y in it and then it would only be worth Z and then I'd be underwater in it. So I ought to take everyone's advice and buy the best example that I can find. But then I would need to pay Z times three and I don't have that money. Mm-hmm. And you read this over and over and over and what happens is that people wind up talking themselves out of buying cars and then then the value increases and then they don't have it yep. and it literally drives me crazy <laughs> you know why not buy the car you can afford i mean this is what we have to do in the rest of life right we buy the house that we can afford right right we send our children to the college that we can afford why not buy the car that you can afford because you know what if you don't once you have bankrupted the family's finances and made the car perfect, spoiler alert, you're not actually going to be any happier.
0: Yes, yes, very well said. Boy, there's a lot of nodding heads out there, including mine right now. So uh, where were you 20 years ago when I needed you? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, Rob, what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you, to be able to follow you and see what you're up to?
1: Well, it's actually on Facebook. I have a very active Facebook Life. I write every month for Roundel Magazine, the magazine of the BMW Car Club of America. I write every week for Roundel Online. Roundel Online is an emailed newsletter that is hosted on the website of the BMW Car Club of America. So although it is essentially my weekly blog, it's behind a paywall. But if you're a BMW CCA member, you're able to read that every week as well.
0: Absolutely. And I've been a long time BMW CCA member. I've enjoyed your writings in both Roundell and online. So, uh, I'll continue to follow you there, follow you on Facebook and listeners. Again, you can find links to everything we've talked about today here at cars.com slash Rob Siegel. Rob, thanks again for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences and fun with our listeners until we talk again. Hey, 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 hey.